Dizem que é mal que faz e acontece Arma confusão e o diabo a sete Agarrei-me que eu vou maiando Nem sei o que lhe faço Desgranho os cabelos Esborrar dos lábios Se não me seguram Dou-lhe forte e feio Beijinhos na boca Arrepios no peito E pagas as favas Eu digo enfim Oh meu rapazinho És fraco para mim Feito feito, ele ginga o passo Arregaça as mangas e escarra para o lado Anda lá, meu cobardolas, vem cá, mano a mano Eu faço e aconteço, eu posso, eu mando Se não me seguram, dou-lhe forte e feio Beijinhos na boca, arrepios no peito E pagas as favas, eu Rapazinho, sou tão má pra ti Oh meu rapazinho Eu digo assim Se não me asseguram do cabo de ti Off. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. My partner, uh, Jim Dwyer, <clears throat> is enjoying the cooler uh, confines of up north. And I might add, he picked a good weekend to, to go up there, although I'm sure it was steamy everywhere in Michigan. A little heat wave here that uh, we didn't, uh, we're not too acclimated to because of the uh, sort of slightly below normal uh, summer we've had in Michigan. But don't be fooled, uh, this is not a sign that global warming or climate change, whatever you prefer, <clears throat> is not upon us. Uh, more on that in a little while. Uh, first of all, I guess we'll just get rid of a couple of quick brain damage awards. Uh, I noticed that John Cotton Mustache Mather Bolton is back in the news. He was very critical of Bill Clinton for going to North Korea, uh, who ostensibly went to North Korea to uh, 
get the journalists that worked for Al Gore's uh, TV network, news network, whatever it's called. I, the name escapes me at the moment. Obviously, they erroneously went into uh, North Korea, crossed the border. I don't believe they were spies, but uh, certainly they were foolish. But uh, to criticize Bill Clinton and to claim that uh, this was a victory for North Korea, as John Bolton did uh, last week, strikes me as bordering on the bazaar. Let's remember that Bolton was never confirmed as U.N. ambassador. He's always been a controversial figure. He's part of the uh, disastrous uh, project for the new American century, the neoconservatives, the whole uh, bit and caboodle that uh, have led this country uh, into the uh, swampy uh, economic and military uh, situation that it currently finds itself in. So listening to John Bolton uh, give advice is uh, rather bizarre. So he gets a brain damage award for uh, being mean-spirited and foolish. And, of course, we've heard a lot in the last week about the uh, new um, pseudo-populist attempt to uh, sort of swarm the health care debate with disinformation uh, regarding the proposed uh, legislation that's in Congress. First of all, the proposed legislation in Congress is completely unknown, and it strikes me that it uh, certainly... Uh, are, uh, I have misgivings about uh, what's going to ultimately emerge. Um, some people just want to come up with a bill regardless. But um, the situation in the United States regarding health care um, is simply the Republicans don't have a solution for this, this problem. And this continues to be a debate, uh, and I think it should be a debate, not a mob scene. And uh, even here in the state of Michigan, it was reported that our congressman, John Dingell, um, who interestingly, by the way, is the longest serving uh, congressman in American history, they disrupted the meeting with the, uh, the, the tactics, uh, the tactics that uh, interestingly they uh, have borrowed from uh, some of the radical left-wing groups from the 60s and even here on the campus of Uni the University of Michigan, I seem to recall that uh, BAM2 uh, was uh, fairly unsuccessful, I might add, at disrupting uh, public meetings with uh, sort of organized uh, intimidation tactics and shouting people down, as they say. Um, free speech, of course, is one of those guarantees that we have in the United States Constitution, but uh, as the saying goes, you only have free speech to the extent that you yourself can pay for it. And it strikes me that there's an organized uh, disinformation campaign out there uh, with new scare tactics, new disinformation, and uh, I guess the latest is uh, Newt Gingrich and Sarah Palin getting involved in this uh, on the uh, talk shows over the weekend. Uh, now we're being told that uh, euthanasia is part of the new health care reform that uh, is upon us, and uh, that uh, doesn't strike me as accurate. And it's probably not the case. But the facts are quite clear. 
the United States, according to uh, all healthcare experts, spend, and it's twice as expensive per capita than all the uh, other developed uh, countries as of uh, 2008, nearly 17%, according to uh, an article by Arnold Roman from the uh, July 2nd New York Review of Books, an article entitled The Health Reform We Need and Are Not Getting, in which he reviews a book by uh, the brother, interestingly, of Rahm Emanuel, who happens to be a doctor. Now, um, it's quite clear to me that single-payer is not going to be part of the new solution. I think this is a mistake. But I understand the political ramifications for uh, why this isn't happening. But... Uh, Healthcare costs are too expensive in the United States. There are 50 million people who are uninsured. The numbers are rapidly rising, and the employer-based system of providing healthcare is simply is no longer viable. Uh, the number of people, by the way, and the number of employers that provide health insurance has really been declining now for 30 years. So this problem remains unaddressed. And apparently the status quo is what these organized interest groups that are connected to the uh, Republican Party clearly want. And uh, they're now using shouting down and disinformation and TV commercials and every marketing gimmick they can think of. Hopefully they'll uh, somehow bring out John Bolton and Dick Cheney to expound on the matter. But... Uh, the author, Ar Arnold Roman, um, who wrote a book entitled Second Opinion, Rescuing America's Healthcare, A Plan for Universal Coverage, Serving Patients Over Profit, uh, notes that the real problem is the commercialization of our healthcare system, I'm quoting from the New York Review of Books article, dates back only a few decades, but its consequences are profound. Investors now own about 20% of non-public general hospitals, almost all specialty hospitals, and most freestanding facilities for ambulatory uh, patients, such as walk-in clinics, imaging centers, and ambulatory surgical centers. These medical care uh, businesses, like other businesses, need profits to satisfy their investors. And for this purpose, they use marketing and advertising directed at physicians and the general public. And uh, it's interesting to note that profits and management expenses, according to Roman, take at least 10 to 20 percent of the premiums charged by investor-owned plans, including the costs of um, those selecting the costs of selecting those they will insure, whereas the overall costs of Medicare, a government-run insurance plan covering everyone uh, 65 and older, are about three percent. When private insurance companies provide coverage for Medic uh, Medicare uh, patients, as in the Medicare Advantage plan, they cost the government about 13% more than standard Medicare coverage. Last week, we noted that the uh, health care uh, profitability of the top 10 insurers has skyrocketed uh, over um, the past uh, decade, uh, quoting from... 
A letter from David Balto, and I'll just read this again because I think it's uh, very telling. He works uh, as a senior fellow at the Center for American uh, Progress in the 18th of June edition of the New York Times. He writes that between 2000 and 2007, the 10 largest publicly traded insurance companies increased their profits 428% from $2.4 billion to $12.9 billion, according to the SEC. During the same period, the number of insurers fell by 20%, largely because of the huge wave of mergers that led to a stunning consolidation. And premiums increased more than 87%, rising four times faster than the uh, average American's wages. Uh, Today, 95% of the American insurance markets qualify as tight oligopolies. Um. So when you hear this uh, this this word thrown around about rationing, remember that the ration there's already rationing occurring in in the American healthcare system, and the rationing uh, is uh, is determined by insurance companies and insurance companies, as we've learned from testimony throughout the entire uh, public proceedings that have been on C-SPAN, available to the public. That's actually part of the accurate picture about the uh, healthcare situation in the United States. Have indicated that. Uh, these managed health care systems and these insurance companies figure out how to cherry-pick uh, customers. They basically want young, healthy people um, who aren't going to cost them money, and they certainly don't want people with existing conditions or uh, problematic uh, expenditures. As for the euthanasia debate, uh, while my personal opinion on this is that um, the United States uh, should permit voluntary euthanasia in some instances— uh, we're seeing this in Europe as a right-to-die issue. Uh, I believe the state of Oregon um, had, uh, on a referendum measure a couple of years ago, passed such a thing. And there haven't been uh, uh, any detailed uh, problems with uh, voluntary suicide in which people decide late in life uh, that they want to end their life uh, with dignity rather than be hooked up to tubes and kept uh, artificially alive by uh, modern technology. And these aspects of the health care costs are stunning. Just as an anecdote, um, I work for a cab company. Occasionally we'll get an order in which uh, a customer is released from uh, one of the uh, for-profit hospitals here in Ann Arbor. And it's interesting to note, they are willing to spend $125 $125 on a cab ride for to release somebody from the hospital, to, you know, to uh, ship them to Detroit or whatever, uh, so that they can open up a bed. Because uh, the beds per night cost $1,200 a night. So uh, if uh, the Republican Party wants to continue to delude the American people that our health care system is working and uh, doesn't need bad is 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 not in badly need of reform uh, i hope that the uh, truth will out as the saying goes now over the weekend we had another uh jobs uh number uh come out and uh it's very bizarre that in a environment in which 247,000 jobs were lost in july the unemployment number can tick down but as the experts noted Uh, It actually ticked down one-tenth of a percent, quote, mainly because so many people dropped out of the uh, the hunt for work, ceasing to list themselves as unemployed. 
Uh, this, of course, is a slight improvement over uh, recent months, but it continues to show that the American economy is continuing to lose jobs, and uh, there's really no end in sight. Uh, now, the stimulus package was extolled by the Obama administration as uh, preventing, um, they would have noted that in July, for instance, uh, the job losses would have been closer to 500000 without the stimulus package. And we're seeing some evidence that the stimulus package is uh, helping out in certain instances. For instance, um, a recent edition of The Nation magazine noted that uh, the stimulus package has been used uh, by many state uh, budgets to prevent uh, massive layoffs. This, of course, hasn't prevented other states from... Uh, creating furlough conditions and, and uh, starting massive cuts in all sorts of things. And I'll bring in the data next week on that because it, it had some interesting uh, um, data about the um, actual number of uh, states that are cutting health care uh, for poor people and where the budget cuts are occurring in many of these states. The stimulus money has been used uh, to benefit, according to the nation, uh, about 48 of the 50 states. So there are very few states that are in uh, good fiscal condition. And when you hear that uh, the, the two best states right now in terms of fiscal uh, health are North Dakota and South Dakota, you have to worry uh, because uh, the city of Washington, D.C. has far more people living in in it than the entire state of North Dakota. And uh, I don't, North Dakota is famous for being the only state in America that actually has less people living in it than it did in 1930. Um, so people are not flocking to move to North Dakota, probably because of those uh, rather uncomfortable winters. But North Dakota is a, is a key state for a lot of reasons, uh, many Americans don't realize that much of our nuclear deterrent was based in North Dakota throughout the Cold War. And uh, North Dakota could uh, emerge, interestingly, as one of the keys to wind power here in the United States. It's one of the windier states. They just need the transmission lines built. They need the infrastructure built. And... Um, it's interesting in today's uh, New York Times, an article by uh, Eric Zensi, who is a professor of historical and political studies at Empire State and author of Virgin Forest, Meditations on History, Ecology, and Culture, and the novel Panama. I think he has a very good piece uh, entitled GDP, R.I.P., which, of course, is the... Uh, his way of arguing that uh, general, uh, gross national product is not a completely accurate way of measuring our economic health. Um, the subtitle of his uh, editorial is Stop Focusing on Economic Activity and Start Tracking Well-Being. And he notes, for instance, uh, in, while he quotes Joseph Schumpter, a famous Austrian economist uh, who was considered to be kind of a, a neo-Marxist. Um, he came up with a phrase called creative destruction. 
in which the fa uh, failure of outmoded economic structures and their replacement by new, more suitable structures create in these downturns uh, what, what he calls creative destructions. And he uses the example that very few buggy manufacturers made it through the Great Depression. Well, it's interesting. I've noticed uh, recently that uh, the title that's being used to describe our current economic uh, conditions now is being called the Great Recession. And uh, it uh, seems to be the case that this is the deepest, uh, longest... Uh, recession that we've had since the end of the, since the Great Depression. And in the economic data, um, it's interesting to note that um, the long-term unemployment is uh, one of the highest ever. Um, as the um, Louis Cuccelli and Jack Healy note in their uh, Saturday, August 8th edition of the New York Times in reporting the economic numbers, they uh, note two important things, I believe. They say only $100 billion of the $787 billion package has actually filtered into the economy so far, with much of the remainder to be spent next year. This is part of the Obama uh, Senate uh, House Democrat economic stimulus package that passed shortly into the Obama administration. Obama, in interestingly and factually speaking, is still dealing with the incredible downturn that uh, started under George Bush. And uh, economic numbers show this, um, you know, beyond dispute. Job losses, in fact, in America really began in uh, 2007. And the date of the beginning of the recession is technically December of 2007, but I would argue that it probably actually started... Uh, in the summer of 2007, there was just a mysterious increase in the stock market in, in October of 2007 uh, that had no uh, apparent rational basis to it. So be very skeptical when you hear that the stock market is, quote, forward-looking. And uh, we're supposed to believe, because the stock market has gone way up in July, that the uh, masters of the universe on Wall Street are somehow predicting uh, economic growth uh, down the road. I do believe that things have improved under Obama. I think that Obama's got the right overall vision, but it takes a long time to turn around the aircraft carrier. And until the United States begins adopting more rational budget priorities in terms of where we spend money, because um, the United States cannot continue on uh, its current uh, rotten economic uh, situation to spend uh, $681 billion on wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and build all these new weapon systems and whatnot. Um, new priorities have to uh, come into being. But as they note, uh, in terms of long-term unemployment, they say, but never in the 61 years of record-keeping has one-third of the unemployed, currently 14.5 million people, been out of work for more than 27 weeks. So we are hearing some actual calls uh, for um, extending unemployment benefits, uh, which strikes me as uh, rational. And they also note that nearly 7 million jobs have been lost. That's total lost jobs since the recession began. So um, there's a lot of work to be done. 
Now, getting back to Eric Zensi, because I wanted to quote a couple of his, his other uh, wise observations here. Um, he, he notes, for instance, he says, consider the 50 miles of sponge-like wetlands between New Orleans and the Gulf Coast. And he's talking about Mississippi. They were once protected, once protected the city from the uh, storm surges. When those bayous were lost to development, sliced to death by channels to move oil rigs mostly, gross domestic product went up. But even as these, quote, improvements destroyed the city's natural defenses and wiped out crucial spawning, uh, crucial spawning ground uh, for Gulf uh, Coast uh, shrimp, the bayous were a natural form of capital, and their loss was a cost that never entered into the account, not GDP or anything else. He notes, for instance, that uh, it has probably become our most cited economic indicator, GDP, the basic number that we take as a measure of how well we're doing economically from year to year, quarter to quarter. But it's a miserable failure at representing our economic reality. To begin with, GDP excludes a great deal of production that has economic value. Neither volunteer work nor unpaid domestic services, housework, child-rearing, do-it-yourself home improvement make it into the accounts and our standard of living, our general well-being, economic well-being, including the huge economic benefit that we get directly outside of any market from nature. A mundane example, if you let your sun, if you sun-dry your clothes, the service is free and doesn't show up in our domestic product. If you throw your laundry into the dryer, you burn fossil fuel, increase your carbon footprint, and make the economy more unsustainable. But you give GDP a bit of a bump. Well, indeed. And uh, how ironic that uh, my clothes are drying on the line as we speak. That's one little uh, hint out there how you can save a little money. It's called natural solar and wind energy, folks doesn't take that long. And by the way, your clothes will actually last longer. Because if, uh, you know, I don't, I, I, admittedly, I throw my socks and underwear in the dryer because it's too cumbersome to hang those up individually. But uh, my linens, my towels, my pantalones, my shorts, my T-shirts in particular, my flannels, etc., all get sun-dried and wind-dried. And it doesn't cost me anything. It does cost me a little bit of time. But the clothes are nicer. They're softer. Try it. Now, uh, using that segue, uh, since we uh, are, still have a couple of minutes here, this summer here in the state of Michigan, we've had kind of a cool, uh, cool summer. Very comfortable. Perfect in my book. Uh, I love uh, upper 70s, low 80s, nice and cool at night, 60s. You can open up the window. Great sleeping weather. And they've done uh, repeated studies, by the way, that you sleep better with cooler temperatures. You don't toss and turn, you don't feel hot in bed, et cetera, et cetera. You sleep sounder, and your overall economic well-being improves. I have no desire to move to the hotter climes, but many people do. But I wanted to note that uh, earlier this summer, uh, basically in April, uh, Reuters reported that a huge ice shelf in Antarctica has shattered and may herald a wider collapse caused by global warming. 
It's amazing how the ice has ruptured, said David Vaughn, a glaciologist with the British Antarctic Survey. Two days ago it was intact, he said, referring to a satellite image of the Wilkins Ice Shelf. The satellite picture by the European Space Agency showed that a strip of ice about 25 miles long that is believed to pin the ice shelf in place has snapped, and the loss of the ice bridge could meet a wider breakup of the ice shelf, which is the size of Connecticut. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. But as for the uh, coming meltdown, uh, since we were earlier talking about Al Gore and uh, Bill Clinton's uh, humanitarian sort of symbolic uh, meeting with Kim Jong-il in North Korea, Kim Jong wasn't looking too good, by the way, and uh, I thought Thomas Friedman had a, a great line about exceedingly short people like uh, Kim Jong-il, that they should go hang themselves on a bonsai tree. Anyway, uh, global warming, climate change, whatever you want to call it, is continuing. And I wanted to um, read from Bill McKibben, uh, who's one of those uh, superior uh, journalists who's been working in the... uh, public domain for many years. I've read a lot of his, uh, some of his books. Uh, He's one of those sort of hardline, what I call rational ecologist types. And in that group, I would throw in Garrett Hardin, uh, Amory Levins, and uh, Bill McKibben. Uh, He's written frequently for New Yorker. And in an article uh, from the 12th of January, 2006 New York Review of Books, he writes that 2005 has been the hottest year on record for the planet, hotter than 1998, 2002, 2004, and 2003. The Arctic ice is melting fast. There's 20% less of it than normal. And as Dr. Mark Sarazi, one of the researchers from the Colorado National Snow and Ice Data Center told reporters, quote, the feeling is that we've reached a tipping point or threshold in which sea ice will not recover. Uh, In the tundra of Siberia, other researchers, researchers report that permafrost has begun to melt rapidly, and when it does, formerly frozen methane, which is like the more prevalent carbon dioxide, acts as a heat trapping greenhouse gap, and it's escaping into the atmosphere. In some places last winter, the methane bubbled up so steadily that puddles of standing water couldn't freeze even in the depths of the Russian winter. He goes on to note, for instance, and there's an interesting photograph of the um, declining northern ice field uh, of uh, Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa with a quote, uh, according to Mark Bowen, This is the way a glacier dies, and many scientists are predicting, by the way, that the snows of Kilimanjaro, uh, which is a famous Hemingway novel, will not exist uh, in 20 years. There won't be any more snow on Kilimanjaro, so it will just be the mountain Kilimanjaro. As for the CO2 that's scientifically documented to be increasing, um, and this is interesting, he, uh, 